Thanks for checking out sermons from Pleasant Valley Community Church. We hope these messages encourage, convict, and inspire you to love and follow Jesus more faithfully as we seek to saturate our city with the hope of the gospel. Our online resources are meant to serve you, but they aren't a replacement for the face-to-face relationships that we were built for. So we really hope that if you're in Owensboro, you'll join us in person on a Sunday morning. And if you live elsewhere, you'll find a local church in your community where you can put down roots and find family. For more resources and to give financially to support the missions and ministries of Pleasant Valley, find us on social media or visit our website at www.pleasantvalley.cc. Well, what are you afraid of? What are you afraid of? I'll go first. Spiders. Uh, So um, Annie kills the spiders in our house. I'll just say that. I would rather be in a pit of rabid tigers than to find a brown recluse in our bed, which I have done before. Uh, Another fear I've had for years, although it is getting better through therapy, is a fear of clowns. It probably has something to do with the fact that when I was five years old, my very godly and wise older cousins made me watch killer clowns from outer space. Anybody else seen that 1988 classic? That is job security for all of you therapists out there forever. Uh, There's a lot of common fears, though. People are afraid of snakes. People are afraid of death. But there's some really interesting phobias that I studied last week. There's there's something, and I'm probably pronouncing it wrong. It's called uh, tachophobia, I think. And it's a fear of pregnant women. And I'm just like, no, if it's pregnant ladies, we're like, I mean, what are they gonna do? I mean, eat you? I mean, I don't, I don't understand why, why there'd be a fear of pregnant women. There's also something called omphalophobia, which is a fear of belly buttons. And I trust that none of those people work at Holiday World or that would certainly trigger them. Um, but, you know, the newest big phobia out there today is actually called nomophobia, which is the fear of being without uh, our cell phone. And so in one study, 50% of people when placed in a room without their cell phone had extreme anxiety. And even now, maybe you're patting like, oh my gosh, where is it? Do I have it? But we all have fears. Some of them are funny. Some of them are not. But I think some of us this morning are paralyzed in fear about the reports we're going to get at the doctor this week. Or the fear, uh, maybe maybe you're single and you desire to be married. And is, is God ever going to provide that, that person I could spend the rest of my life with? And we have this fear. Um, maybe, I think, Parents, the greatest fear we have is that something would happen to one of our kids or grandkids. Um, maybe it's the fear if, if addiction has been part of your story that you're going to relapse and hurt the people closest to you again. Um, but maybe it's a fear that we're just not doing all that God wants us to do. It's the fear that we're failing as Christians. Or maybe it's the fear that, you know, my life really doesn't matter. I'm not making an impact for God. I'm not making an impact for the kingdom of Jesus Christ. So I think God has big things he wants to do through many of us in this church, but maybe it's not happening right now because we're paralyzed in fear. Fear that we're not enough. Fear that we've made too many mistakes in our past. Fear that I'm just an ordinary, everyday Joe or Jane. What can I really do to make a difference in the world? Fear that maybe we don't have the finances to do great things for God. Fear of failure. But what have I told you this morning that one of Satan's primary strategies 
is to make us afraid. Because the devil knows if he can hold God's people captive to fear, that we'll be of no use for the kingdom of God. So if you're here this morning and you're afraid of anything, if there's any kind of fear that's kind of paralyzing you in your life, you need to know that fear is not from God. First Timothy 1 says, God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and a sound mind. So this morning, we're gonna pray that the Holy Spirit will set us free from fear. And to do that, God gives us an incredible story in Scripture of a man named Gideon. So turn with me in your Bibles to the book of Judges, chapter 6. We've taken five or six weeks, and we're walking through various parts of Judges. And this morning, we're in Judges, chapter 6, the story of Gideon. And I'll begin reading in verse number 1. The Israelites did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. So the Lord handed them over to Midian seven years, and they oppressed Israel. Because of Midian, the Israelites made hiding places for themselves in the mountains, caves, and strongholds. Whenever the Israelites planted crops, the Midianites, Amalekites, and the people of the east came and attacked them. They encamped against them and destroyed the produce of the land, even as far as Gaza. They left nothing for Israel to eat, as well as no sheep, ox, or donkey. For the Midianites came with their cattle and their tents like a great swarm of locusts. They and their camels were without number, and they entered the land to lay waste to it. So Israel became poverty-stricken because of Midian, and the Israelites cried out to the Lord. Now, if you were here two weeks ago, we talked about all throughout the book of Judges, there's four different stages that God's people go through over and over again. Stage one is they sin. They rebel against God. You see that in verse number one. The text says, they did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. Stage number two, though, is God brings his discipline to his children. And in Judges, God would discipline his people for their sin by allowing them to be captured by another nation. They would be oppressed. They would be broke. They would have sicknesses. Well, that's happening here. They've been taken over by the Midianites. Then number three, though, God's people get desperate. They cry out to God, oh, God, help us. We're sorry. That happens in verse six. But then number four, when God's people cry out, God always sends someone to help them. He raises up a deliverer or a judge. That's where the name judges comes from. It's where God raises up people over and over again to deliver his people from the bad guys. Okay, so that's, that's the context. Now look at verse seven. When the Israelites cried out to God because of Midian, the Lord sent a prophet to them. Now, in verses 8 through 10, that prophet rebukes them for their sin, calls them to repentance. But then in verse 11, God raises up a judge that's going to deliver them from the bad guys, essentially. And it's a judge that you would not expect if you knew his background. The judge's name is going to be Gideon. Look at verse 11. The angel of the Lord came, and he sat under the oak that was in Oprah, which belonged to Joash the Abizarite. His son Gideon was threshing wheat in the winepress in order to hide it from the Midianites. So here we're introduced to one of the most well-known characters in the Bible, a man named Gideon. And God's going to call Gideon to deliver his people from the Midianites. And we find in verse 11, Gideon is threshing wheat in the wine press. Now, for those of you like me that haven't threshed 
wheat in a wine press lately. <laughs> Here's what that means. To thresh out the wheat, uh, they would throw it up in the air, and then when it got up in the wind, the wind would blow away all what was called the chaff or you know the, the useless light stuff. But then the heavy part of the wheat, the, the good part, the grain would fall there to the ground. But Gideon is going through that process in the wine press, which was a terrible place to thresh wheat because uh, you did wine pressing underground. So how are you going to get access to the wind underground, right? So, so why is Gideon threshing out the wheat in the wine press? The text tells us because he was afraid. He was afraid of the Midianites, that they would steal the wheat. He was afraid that they would capture him like they had captured everybody else. Now, here's the point we learn from the text. Gideon is no Jack Bauer. Gideon is not Russell Crowe in Gladiator. Gideon is not Rocky Balboa. Gideon is afraid. Gideon is timid. Gideon is passive. You could even say Gideon is a coward. Now, knowing that, look at verse 12. Then the angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon and said, Gideon, the Lord is with you. And look at what he calls Gideon. Valiant warrior. So, Track this, Gideon is hiding out in a cave, shaking in fear, but God calls him a valiant warrior. That doesn't make sense. Why would God call Gideon a warrior when he's shaking in his boots underground? As Greer points out, God doesn't speak to Gideon based on what Gideon is God speaks to Gideon based upon what God is going to make him into. See, Gideon can only see his past, but God sees his future. So God doesn't call Gideon because he's already courageous. God calls Gideon because God's going to make Gideon courageous. Courageous. So when some of us look in the mirror, all we see is pitiful and, and weakness. But when God looks at us in Christ, he sees the potential we have through Jesus to do great things through us. So when God comes to us, he never starts with what you are. God comes to you with what he's going to make you into through Jesus. I love this text in 1 John chapter 3, verse 2. Beloved, we are God's children now. And what we will be, that's in the future, has not yet appeared. But we know that when Christ appears, we shall be like him because we shall see Jesus as he is. So who you are today is not who you are going to be. He's still working on us, and the best is yet to come for all of God's children. Because in Christ, the scripture says, we are new creatures. We are new creations. The old is gone, and the new has come, and the new is still coming. You are not who you are right now. You are who God is making you into through Jesus. And so when you see yourself as a coward, God sees you as a warrior through Christ in you. When you feel like, man, I'm just an outcast, God says, no, you're chosen. 
when you feel like, man, I've just been a failure my whole life. God says, no, I'm making you into a fighter, just like I did Gideon. When you've rebelled against God, God says, but I see you as righteous through Jesus. And when you look in the mirror and all you see is a pathetic failure, God says, no, I'm gonna use my power through you. Many of us in this room have been paralyzed in fear that we're not enough, that we're failures, that God can never use somebody like me to do something great. But here's the message this morning. Even if your whole spiritual life, you've never had guts, God is calling you to be a Gideon and to trust that he can work through anybody and he wants to. So in verse 12, God calls Gideon a valiant warrior as a prophecy of what God's going to do through him. And now in verse 13, look at Gideon's response. Gideon said to the angel of the Lord, please, my Lord. I mean, you'd almost hear the sarcasm in Gideon's voice. He's, he's kind of rolling his eyes. He's like, God, you want me to deliver Israel from all the bad guys? Gideon's like, God, I'm hiding out in a cave. God, I make my wife kill the spiders. And you want me to be this warrior to lead your people? And then notice how weak Gideon's faith is in verse 13. Gideon cries out to God, God, if, if the Lord is with us, why has all this happened? In other words, why are our people in slavery again? Where are all of your wonders that our ancestors told us about? They said, hasn't the Lord brought us out of Egypt? But now the Lord has abandoned us and handed us over to Midian. In verse 14, though, the Lord turned to Gideon and said, Gideon, go in the strength you have and deliver Israel from the grasp of Midian. I am sending you. So track the conversation here. Gideon says, God, I've heard stories of how faithful you've been to the people of Israel. God, I heard my grandma tell me about how you led them through the Red Sea, how you sent them through the Egypt, from the Egyptians. God, I know you've done great things through our people, but God, where are you now? Here we are, back being taken over by the bad guys. God, where are all the powerful things you used to do for your people? So that's, that's Gideon's statement. But God responds and says, Gideon, I'm going to keep doing powerful things among y'all, but I'm bringing the power through you. Gideon, stop looking for the next Moses. You are the next Moses. You see what God's doing? He's saying, Gideon, be careful what you complain and whine about. I might make you the solution to the problem. So, Here's a question for examination. What's bothering you right now about the way things are in the world? What's frustrating you the most? What, what's frustrating you most maybe about your church or your marriage or your relationships or your kids or your friend group? Like what's, what's just kind of gnawing at you? What if God is saying this morning, let's spend less time complaining about the way things are? And let's be the change we want to see. Gideon's moaning and groaning about how God's not with Israel. And God says, Gideon, I'm going to bring change to Israel, but I'm going to do it through you. Get off the couch, big boy. Let me use you. Some of us, 
Now, speaking to myself here, need to spend less time waiting on God to work through somebody else. God's trying to work through you. Stop waiting on your spouse to change so you can have a better marriage. Be the change you want to see in your marriage. Are we frustrated with our church? Let revival come to this church because it starts in your heart. Let's not whine and complain that, well, people don't raise their hands in worship. People don't seem very alive to God. I don't see many things happening powerful in our church. Well, be that person. Set your own heart on fire for God. We want to end abortion, for example, and we should. But being pro-life doesn't end in the voting booth. What if God is calling your family to be the one to provide a home for that child whose mother chose life? See, what if God's calling one of you ladies to start a new ministry for single moms? See, we're asking God to send out five new missionaries from our church in the next 15 years. And we're kind of all sitting around, well, I wonder who it's gonna be. I wonder if they would go. What if God's calling you to be the one to go overseas and let our church send you? If not you, then who? Why not you? I hear this a lot, and I do it too. Kids these days, we complain, you know, all they wanna do is be on their phones and play video games. They're lazy, we can't get them to work, yada, yada, yada. What if older folks, what if we spent less time complaining about this generation and started investing in them? You know what, I wanna volunteer in Valley Kids. I wanna volunteer with Pastor John and student ministry. I wanna start discipling teenagers and kids. I'm gonna start pouring my life. Instead of just complaining about how pitiful this generation is, be a Gideon to make a difference in this generation. So in Judges, Gideon wants to see change in Israel. God says, oh, I wanna bring change, but I wanna do it through you. I'm sending you. You may be Gideon this morning in whatever it is in your life that's not right. But again, notice Gideon's response. He keeps negotiating with God how he's not the guy for the job, which is what some of you are thinking right now. You think, yeah, I can't do all those things James is talking about. Verse 15, Gideon said to the Lord, please, Lord, how can I deliver Israel? Look, my family is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the youngest in my father's family. Gideon's making all, giving God a list of reasons why he's not fit for the job. God, I'm young. My family's dysfunctional. We ain't got no money. We come from the wrong side of the tracks. My parents split up. God, I, have you seen my jacked up family? But Gideon forgets that God loves using the most unlikely of candidates. We all love strong superheroes. For me growing up, it was He-Man. Nowadays, I don't know who the big superheroes are. It's Black Panther and Captain America. And I think Batman and Spider-Man are still a thing, maybe. Uh, Wonder Woman's a big one now, too. But what do all these superheroes have in common? They're strong. They're powerful. But in the Bible, have you ever noticed all the superheroes are weak? and timid, and unlikely candidates. You ever thought about that? 
God prefers to work through the weak, the outcasts, those with the past, those that don't have their resume. Because then God gets all the glory. I mean, think about who God uses in the scripture. David, this young shepherd boy that's out in the field. God says, I'll use him to be the next king and to kill Goliath. Think about Moses. Moses had a speech impediment. God says, you're the one that's gonna lead my people through the Red Sea. Think about Abraham. He was sterile. His wife was like 100 years old. I mean, they're hanging out in the nursing home. And God's like, I'm gonna use y'all two to start a new nation. Rahab, she was a prostitute. Mary, 13-year-old virgin, teenage girl. God's like, you're the one that's gonna give birth to my son. See, God loves working through weak people. God loves working through the outcast. God loves working through people that everybody else has given up on. God loves working through people that maybe don't have their credentials or the education or the intelligence. That's who God loves to work through because then he gets all the glory and man can't take credit for it. So the more jacked up or unqualified you think you are, actually the better candidate you are to be used by God. You are exactly what he's looking for. Now watch this. God calls Gideon to lead Israel into battle to drive out the Midianites. But here's the problem. This is, this is my favorite part of the story. Uh, verse 12 in chapter 7. Now the Midianites, Amalekites, and all the people of the east had settled down in the valley. That's the bad guys. Look at how the Bible describes it. Like a swarm of locusts. And their camels were as innumerable as the sand on the seashore. So in other words, Gideon looks down on the army that he's about to try to fight. And he sees nothing but bad guys and camels. I mean, they are outnumbered a million to one, it feels like, to Gideon. So Gideon looks at the enemy and he's like, God, we ain't got a chance. Kind of like Kentucky against Tennessee last night. Like, we all knew they didn't have a chance. Well, Gideon's already afraid. The odds are already against Israel. They're outnumbered like crazy. But look at what God does next. Chapter seven, verse one. Jerubbabel, that is Gideon. They changed his name. That's another part of the story I don't have time to get into. And all the troops who were with Gideon got up early and camped beside the spring of Herod. The camp of Midian was north of them, below the hill of Morah in the valley. The Lord said to Gideon, look at this. Gideon, you have too many troops for me to hand the Midianites over to them. Notice he didn't say, you don't have enough troops. I got to send in the reserve. He said, you got too many troops. Or else Israel might elevate themselves and say over me, I saved myself. So Gideon and his number and his people are already outnumbered. But God says, nope, you got too many troops. If y'all win this battle, you're going to take credit for yourselves and I ain't going to have that. Verse number three, so look at what God says to Gideon. Gideon announced to the troops, whoever is fearful and trembling may turn back and leave and go home. So 22,000 of the troops turned back, but 10,000 remained. So just like that, an already outnumbered army goes from 32,000 to 22,000, just like that. That's not what Gideon wanted to see, but God's not done yet. Verse four, then the Lord said to Gideon, there are still too many troops. Take them down to the water, and I will test them for you there. 
if I say to you, this one can go with you, he can go. But if I say about anyone, this one cannot go with you, he cannot go. So long story short, they go down to the river. God sends more of Gideon's troops home. Now Gideon's army, look at this, has gone from 32,000 down to 10,000. And now from 10,000 down to 300. God says, okay, now you're ready to go to war. Sometimes God will start stripping things out of your life because he's about to start showing off his power in you. God will break you down before he builds you up. So if sometimes you feel like things are falling apart, God is readying you for a battle that he's gonna do amazing things through you. So chapter seven, verse nine, that night the Lord said to him, Gideon, get up and attack the camp for I've handed it over to you, you and your 300 men. Verse 19, Gideon and the 100 men, they broke them down into three groups of 100. Gideon had 100, two other guys had 100 each, 300 total. They went to the outpost of the camp at the beginning of the middle of the watch after the sentries had been stationed. They blew their ram's horns and broke the pitchers that were in their hands. The three companies blew their ram's horns and shattered their pitchers. They held their torches in their left hands and their ram's horns to blow in their right hands. And they shouted, a sword for the Lord and for Gideon. Each Israelite took his position around the camp of the bad guys and the entire Midianite camp began to run and they cried out as they fled. And when Gideon's men blew their 300 ram's horns, the Lord caused the other guys and the whole army to turn on each other with their sword and they basically all killed each other. So this is one of the greatest military upsets in history. A little puny Israelite army led by a coward with 300 men defeats this massive Midianite army with tens of thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of troops. And God did it that way so that he would get all the glory. This is always how God works. God does not call you to do what you can do on your own. God only calls you to do things that you can do through his power. The more overwhelmed you feel today, the better position you are in to be used by God because when we are weak, that is when he is strong. God wants to use you in a way that is disproportionate to who you are. The less qualified you feel like you are, the more potential you have for God to do great things through you. But it's not us doing it. It's God doing the work through us. That's the main point of this passage. From the, moment, from the moment God called Gideon, he said, Gideon, I'm gonna be with you. Look at that in chapter six, verse 16. But I will be with you, the Lord said to Gideon. You will strike Midian down as if it were one man. And then in chapter six, verse 12, the angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon and said to Gideon, the Lord is with you. Oh, mighty man of valor. Now it makes sense. How can you call a hiding coward a mighty man of valor? Because the Lord is with him. We are not great because of who we are. We are great because of who Jesus is in us. 
Jesus says, apart from me, I don't care if you have education. I don't care if you have money. I don't care if you have skills. Apart from me, you can do nothing that will matter in the end. But he says, you can do all things through Christ who strengthens you. Pleasant Valley, we want to see God move through this church and through every one of y'all and me in such powerful ways that nobody in Owensboro will be able to give a human explanation for how that happened other than to say only God must be at work at that church. That's a God thing. That's how God loves to work. So two questions for reflection as we land this plane for you and for me. What is God calling you to do that is bigger than you? What's a God-sized goal or task that you think God may be calling you to that you're like, ain't no way I could do that? Maybe it's a dream God has placed in your heart years ago. You're like, yeah, there's no way I could do that. And then number two, what are you afraid of that's keeping you from doing it? Is it starting a ministry? Is it becoming a preacher? Is it being a missionary? Is it leading a community group, leading a discipleship group, sharing your faith with somebody at work? What's God nudging you to do? They're like, ain't no way I could do that. What are you afraid of? To overcome our fears, the secular world tells us, you know, you gotta control your thoughts. Don't think about the things that scare you. That's not how God gives peace. It's not closing your eyes at the things that make you afraid. God says, open your eyes and see my presence right in front of you. God says to Gideon, Gideon, you will defeat the enemy because I will be with you. See, courage is not the absence of fear. Courage is trusting and obeying God right in the middle of the fear. Saying, God, you're with me through this valley. If God really is with you this morning, what in the world is there that you cannot do through his power? What has God put on your heart that is too big for him to do through you? Can't you do all things through Christ who strengthens you? What are you afraid of? If God's with you, who can be against you? I'd like to ask our music team to come forward if they would and our ministry team. Let's bow our heads for a moment here. And I, I want us to continue to process those two questions. Everybody in this room, wrestle with God through these two questions. What is God calling you to do that is bigger than you? And what are you afraid of that's keeping you from doing it? Let's take a few moments, wrestle through those questions with the Lord. And then I'm gonna be standing down here at the front. Pastor Steve's over here. We've got David over here. We're gonna have some folks. Miss Robin's down here. We've got men and women down here. We would love to pray with you. Look, we're not a big group this morning in here, so there's safety and freedom. Come forward. We would love to pray for you. This altar is always open. Maybe there's a fear you have this morning and you would just like, man, I would love for somebody to pray for me. Or maybe you're trying to discern what God wants you to do with your life. Maybe you're wrestling with a career change or where you should go to school or 
how you should serve at the church. Maybe you're like, man, maybe God's calling me to missions or God's calling me to ministry. And you're just figuring that out. We would love to pray for you. So let's take a few moments. You're welcome to come down now during this next song. And we're gonna linger down here all the way through the end of the service. We'd love to pray for you this morning. Let's take time and do that now. Thanks for checking out sermons from Pleasant Valley Community Church. For more resources and to give financially to support the missions and ministries of Pleasant Valley, find us on social media or visit our website at www.pleasantvalley.cc.